Good morning, everyone. I also want to welcome our friends who are joining us online. As a church, we are currently on our Theology of Work sermon series. And so for the benefit of those who are new to Wesley, allow me to do a quick recap. In our very first sermon, Pastor Ray preached about the purpose of work. All right, yes. He preached about the purpose of work, which is to reflect God's image. In fact, he describes for us the four ways we work in the image of God. The first is to create and cultivate. Number two, to work in relationships with others. Number three, trust in His provision. And that means we are to surrender our remuneration and rewards to His gracious rewards, His gracious provision. Uh, number four, honor the limits. Uh, this is how God will shape us in His image and use us to witness for Him in our workplace. And so if you'd like to find out more, you can watch the sermon and read the sermon notes in our church website. In our second sermon, uh, last weekend, our, we realized that our objectives to reflect the image of God is pursued by practicing a rhythm of work and rest. And it is through resting in God that we draw from His life-giving resources to create and cultivate at work. And so my friends, if the purpose of work is to reflect the image of God, and, and since God has really intended for us to do this with a rhythm of work and rest, why are we still struggling at work? Why, why, are, why aren't we seeing more Christians thriving? Why is it that, why is it that it's so difficult to glorify God at our workplace? I do not wish for us to be naive about this. There are challenges of work that we must face if you decide to align our faith with your work. And this is the purpose of this sermon series, so that we will align our faith with our work. And so, before I begin, I want to give due credit to the late Pastor Timothy Keller, uh, whom I've drawn many insights from his book, Every Good Endeavor, and have adapted for today's sermon. So why? Why is it so difficult to reflect God's image at work? I want to suggest that there are three possible challenges we face at work, and I will describe them with the acronym CRY. C-R-Y. It's not because I want you to cry over my sermon, but because these are things that will lead us to beat our chest and cry, God, why? Why is reflecting your image at work so difficult? The first challenge, the first challenge we face at work that begins with the, word, the letter C is that work has been cursed with fruitlessness. But where did this curse come from? I will be asking you to open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3. But before we read Genesis chapter 3 verse 17, allow me to provide you with some context. God had placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to nurture it. As mentioned in Genesis chapter 2 verse 17, God warned Adam that he can eat from any, any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, in Genesis chapter 3, the devil approached them in the form of a serpent and deceived them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, because they disobeyed, God pronounced judgment on all of them. Now, having spoken to the serpent and to Eve, these are the words that God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, which we will now turn to. And to the man he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife 
and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toy, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust. And to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 21. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so at this point, mankind had fallen out of favor with God. Previously, God would form every living creature and he would bring it to Adam to name it. Man was originally placed in the garden to work. He was meant to be fruitful and multiply. But now, we have run aground and we have been separated from God. As mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, all of creation has been cursed with fruitlessness because of man's disobedience. Work has now become painful toy. In fact, Pastor Timothy Keller, he aptly describes the situation for us when he wrote these words. Nothing works now as it should. Sin leads to the disintegration of every area of life, spiritual, physical, social, cultural, psychological, temporal, eternal. My friends, our work is cursed with fruitlessness. For example, like thorns and thistles, our best efforts at work can be dulled by office politics and backstabbing. Our creative out-of-the-box ideas can face resistance by colleagues who are afraid of the risks of making changes. The results of our hard work, our sleepless nights, and team morale are eroded by them. The people we painstakingly mentor can get headhunted by the lure of better financial benefits and promotion, active, uh, by promotion op- opportunities. Even in church, we also face our share of frustration and fruitlessness. Our efforts to organize conferences can be met with lackluster registration numbers. Our attempts to stay close to God and keep tight as a small group can be met with resistance when you try to move from online meetings to on-site meetings in your, fa- in your homes. In discipleship and nurture, we also face the curse of fruitlessness. Last year, we realized that our usual distributor for one of our training materials no longer ships to Singapore. As a result, we had to take a, a circuitous solution that took longer than the usual direct route. The longer time frame needed to deliver the books to Singapore also resulted in the decision to obtain the books well ahead of time. So that, that this is so that our classes can start on time without delay. And so despite, but despite our efforts to resolve the original issue, this work around had a limiting effect on the number of people we can, we can accept into our classes for DNN. Therefore, our dear colleagues would unfortunately still be at the receiving end of angry Christians who were unable to, to understand our conundrum and presume that we are being inflexible. 
And so as you can see, this sense of fruitlessness can breed feelings of frustration and a sense of a lack of fulfillment at work, even when we have tried our best to be faithful. So what do we do when we face such frustration and fruitlessness at work? The Bible has, has demonstrated to us that we can apply our faith, our faith to our work by bringing our laments to God. Like the book of Lamentations and Psalms, facing our fruitlessness can involve talking to God about our frustrations and fruitlessness. Whether the source of my fruitlessness and frustration is a person or a process, I can choose to turn to God to grieve the pain. Lamenting to God helps me to create mental space to face the source of my fruitlessness and frustration. As I lament to God, I reveal to Him my feelings and my, my, my thoughts. I tell Him about my disappointments and doubts. And this is why it is said, it is said that worry is a conversation that we have with ourselves about the things that we cannot change. But prayer, prayer is a conversation that we have with God about the things that He can change. God wants us to bring our lamentations to Him so that we can draw comfort and consolation from Him. He can help us to dream again. As people made in God's image, we have been given glimpses of what perfect work or beautiful work should look like. God is the one who inspired us uh, through our ideas and, and dreams. But our work will always fall short of our expectations, isn't it? Just as we have also fallen short of the glory of God. And, and so thankfully, despite our failures, God continues to love us and is able to um, understand the laments we bring to Him. There are also moments during my, my lamentations that I finish speaking and return to silence before God. And these are, these, these are the moments where he gently shows me that these persons, these processes have been put there for a reason. It is through rooting myself in God through a dialogue about my work that I begin to see the goodness in our work, even if it is incomplete. My friends, our work can be both frustrating and yet fulfilling. Sometimes the, the challenge of work isn't because of the world, we could be the ones causing the challenge. We could be the ones causing the challenges at work, which brings me to our second point, which is reliance. Our reliance on work for meaning and identity. Just as mankind first sought to make a name for themselves by building the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, we are also tempted to rely on our work for meaning and identity. For example, there is a huge temptation to climb the corporate ladder just to be recognized and affirmed as successful. Some of us will rely on our achievements and awards at work to tell us that we are healthy and safe. Yet we know that this is not true, even if we are nicknamed the special one, like, like Jose Mourinho, and have won world titles and awards. It doesn't mean that we will be spared from, we will be spared from the retrenchment exercise. For some of us, our confidence rises and sinks with the values of our investment portfolios and bank accounts because we have relied on our success at work to hold significant meaning and identity. Some of us 
unfortunately, some of us have, have sunk into depression and despair when our investment plunges or when our companies fail or when our projects struggle. Our work, my friends, our work has no lasting impact on who we are. We will all eventually die and be forgotten. And this is why in his play, Death of a Salesman, Arthur Miller's character, the salesman, laments after all the highways and the trains and the appointments and the years, you end up worth more dead than alive. My friends, our achievements and awards do not make who we are. And so my friends, we can face this challenge by aligning with God's meaning and identity for us instead of relying on work for significance. So who? Who am I? What does God say about who you are through His Word and prayer, my friends? What does God say about who you are so far? Whether your workplace is at home, in the school, in the military camps, or in office, all of us have to ask this question. What am I relying on for meaning and identity? I want to invite you to think. Think about where you were where you will be at your workplace when Monday comes. Where will you be? What kind of work will you be occupied with? Who are the people you will be interacting with? In order to make sure I I serve God with the right perspective, I am also consistently asking this question. Who am I? Am I seeking to make a name for myself through the programs and proposals that I've started? Am I expecting people to listen to me just because of the campaigns and initiatives I'm involved in? Am I counting on the books and products that I have introduced? Am I bragging about the people that I have raised and mentored to serve in committees? As I went through these questions, wow, I realized, I suddenly realized I've accomplished a lot. But am I relying on this to make me who I am? Am I relying on all this for my significance? Will I be crushed when I'm no longer recognized and remembered? Will I fear being forgotten by people? My friends, I'm reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants to whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither is the one who plants, nor the one who waters is anything. But only God, only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And each will receive wages according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers working together. You are God's few, God's building According to the grace of God given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building on it. Let each builder choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 to 11. So my friends, what kind of foundation are you relying on for significance 
What kind of foundation are you relying on for identity and meaning today? For me, I'm first and foremost a child of God. My security is in what God says about me, even if my seniors, my staff or volunteers criticize and think otherwise. What they think of me does not change what God thinks about me. I've been loved by our Heavenly Father and I have been blessed with gifts to be a blessing. I'm also a servant of Jesus Christ in our Father's house here in Wesley. And so I just want to, I will tell people from time to time, I just want to do God's work here in Wesley Methodist Church. My purpose here is to bring Wesleyans, to bring you into a revelation of our Father's heart and to walk in His love. And so, and I want to see that God is more than just an intellectual concept for you. But He is also Emmanuel, where we walk with Him daily. And this is why I want to see Wesleyans, I want to see Wesleyans walking in God's holy love and holiness daily. This is why, my friends, I'm not interested in counting my trophies, nor the tribes of people who I influence. I'm not interested in playing politics with you. I will live one day when God says I'm done. And when that happens, I don't wish to carry any of my achievements with you. I just need to align my identity with who God says I am and the, meaning of my, and the meaning of my work with what God has called me to do. What about you? What about you? This ought to be the same for you as well. We must view our identity on who you are in God. This clarity about I, our identity is nurtured through prayerful reflection about our work. Yet just as we lament and cry to God about the curse of fruitlessness at work and the temptation to rely on work for meaning and identity, the third challenge of work is that we are being yoked to the pressures of work and culture. While we may not have relied on work for meaning and identity, we could have been bound, bound by the pressures of work and culture, such as having to meet unrealistic deadlines. Pressures at work are also moments when your personal and ethical boundaries are being trespassed, such as the pressure of being unable to decline um, team dinners after work when you have family or study commitments. Reflecting God's image at work could also be difficult when the social norms, the social norms at work do not honour or accept our faith values, such as when your colleagues do not understand the idea or honor the idea of a Sabbath rest day and they expect you to respond to you on your day off. In, in the book of Esther, Esther was a Jew chosen to be a queen to King Ahasuerus, the king of Persia. He was a temperamental and cruel person because he, he removed the previous queen, Queen Vashti, when he demanded for her to be presented for everyone to see her beauty. And it has been suggested that she refused the king because he had ordered her to appear naked before his guests and his subjects at the feast. One could hardly imagine the stress of pleasing this temperamental king and his ridiculous requests. In Esther chapter 3, King Ahasuerus was persuaded by his subjects to, to issue a decree 
to, to destroy and kill all Jews at a particular date. When Esther's uncle Mordecai learned about this decree in Esther chapter 4, he asked Esther to, to help go to the, to the cruel king to use her place in the palace to plead with the king to prevent the mass killing of the Jews. And this was a dangerous request for Esther. Think about this. This was a dangerous request for Esther. She could have saved her own life by hiding her identity as a Jew because no one knew who, uh, no one knew that she was a Jew so far. She could have kept quiet about the whole thing. The king, and, and worse still, the king had not been interested to call for her. The king had not called for her for the past 30 days. And so by approaching the king without his command, Esther risked suffering the same fate as the previous queen, Queen Vashti. Or worse still, death together with the Jews. Yet her uncle Mordecai pressed in and he said the following in his conversation with her in Esther chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For you keep, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise, from, rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for, for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my mates will also fast as you do after that. I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perished, I perished. Esther chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. My friends, Esther had more power than she realized. But she had not used them until Mordecai reached out to her. Like Esther, my friends, many of us here, many of us think here have come from difficult or humble beginnings. Some of us are descendants of immigrants who came to Singapore seeking a better life. Some of us are already living with better luxury than our parents previously had at our current age. Some of us have more financial resources and social capital than we realized. And, and we don't realize that, we can, we can, that this can be offered to leverage and mediate for God's goodness for others. And this is why Mordecai's words are still relevant for many of us today. Perhaps you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. My friends, this could be God's words for you as well. We need to remember that we have been tremendously blessed to have the opportunity to live and raise our family here in Singapore, a really safe and prosperous country. God could have made it, it is God who made it possible for us to live here instead of a country plagued with war. God has also blessed us with, with talents and opportunities that cannot be manufactured. Everything we have are God's gift of grace. And so my friends, unless you use your influence, 
your qualifications and your resources to serve people like Esther. Your workplace is our prison that you are yoked to. Can I repeat this? Unless you use your influence, your qualifications, your resources to serve people like Esther, your workplace is your prison that you are yoked to. It can own us. I was recently watching the Korean drama, uh, Gyeongseong Creature, which was set uh, in the period of Japanese occupancy in Korea. There was an Esther-like moment when one of the characters said this, turning a blind eye makes us part of the problem. No matter how impossible the circumstance, if we choose to do nothing, then we are no different than those who oppress us. Is there something that you are turning a blind eye to? Is there injustice or ethical dilemmas that you have been ignoring at your workplace? Has the Word of God already been nudging you about a practical way for you to reflect God's image at your workplace? Perhaps things are really very dark and challenging for you, let alone the thought of, of trying to reflect God's glory at work. But I'm inspired of, of the words from the main character, from the, the same drama where he said this. He said these words. You know what they say? It's always darkest before the dawn. Unquote. It's always darkest before the dawn. My friends, there is still goodness in your work that God wants you to reflect His light into the darkness. There is still goodness in your work that God wants you to reflect His light into the darkness. You have not climbed to such high status for no reason. You have not come to this point for comfortable life. You have come to this pos position for such a time like this. And I urge you to think about where you are right now and why, why you are in this current workplace. It is only then that you begin to partner with God, to mediate His goodness in your workplace. My friends, we need to learn to mediate God's goodness for others like Esther who said, if I perished, I perish. My friends, Esther didn't go in halfway. You know that she went in all the way. She risked her life and power by stepping forward faithfully to mediate for the Jews. I like how Kara Martin uh, emphasized in her book, Workship, when she, when she wrote about work and process. She said, with Eve, Eve in Genesis, with Eve, notice the, the process of childbirth is cursed with labor pain, but not the child. Not the child. Adam's work of cultivation is not cursed, but the process is. There is still good in our workplace that God wants to mediate through us. It is important that, that just as we see the struggles, we must see the goodness of the work that God is calling us to mediate today. And this is why just as we cry, cry over the challenges of reflecting God's image in the workplace, such as being cursed with fruitlessness, reliance on work for meaning and identity, and why? Why being yoked to the pressures of work and culture? My friends, we can also respond by lifting our lamp 
L-A-M-P, which is to lament for God, align with God, mediate God's goodness, and finally, P, press on steadfastly. We have to press on all the way, my friends. Jesus also pressed on all the way. Of course, I know Jesus never said the words of Esther, if I perish, I perish, correct? Jesus never said that. But Jesus was constantly preparing his disciples by saying these words, when I perished, I'll perish. Jesus said, when I perish, I'll perish. He had foretold his death to his disciples and he died on the cross for our atonement. I humbly acknowledge that some of us have financial commitments and a family to, to feed. And so for you to follow Jesus in your workplace can be a risky step in your career if you act recklessly. And this will be a step, but this will be a step of faith for you to lead your organization with Christ-like values, such as integrity. Maybe you're a school teacher. Can you imagine when your whole class of girls or boys begin to turn to God with Christ-like values. Maybe you are a, a supervisor of five, of, a team leader of five people. Can you imagine when they begin to live ethically and to honour one another as ourselves? And this is why I love the observation that Karen Jobs made in her commentary. She said this, Esther is called Queen Esther 14 times. 13, 13 of these happen only after she says, if I perish, I perish. And so my friends, she becomes a person of greatness not by trying to make a name for herself. And likewise, you will, make, you will become a person of greatness not by trying to make a name for yourselves, but by serving. Serving the one who said to his father, for your sake, thy will be done. My friends, will you also follow Jesus example of mediating God's goodness in your workplace. How will you press on all the way like Jesus? Come, let us turn to God in silence and prayer. I want to invite you to close your eyes for a while. Don't fall asleep. But take a moment to recall your week at your workplace so far as you recall your week at your workplace, what is one, what, what are the prevailing forces and challenges at your workplace? What are the prevailing forces and challenges at your workplace? What is one particular challenge that hinders you personally from reflecting God's image at your workplace? Or simply put, what's stopping you from reflecting God's image at your workplace so far? Is it a challenge of fruitlessness? The temptation to rely on work for significance? or the pressures of work and culture. Wherever you are, I want to invite you to talk to God silently about this. Finally, what is one practical way 
that you may lift up God's lamb at work to face your challenges. What is one practical way for you to respond, to reflect His image? Let us now take this step in prayer to commit to Him this one practical step. And so my friends, I want to invite all of us as an act of commitment to, to follow God into, into our workplace, as an act of commitment. Shall we all stand as I close in prayer? Let this be your act of commitment, that you will stand for Christ at your workplace, that you will not, no longer stay hidden. Abba Father, we are surrounded by challenges of work that press heavily heavily on us. We want to echo and declare the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians that we are hard-pressed on every side but we are not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We have been persecuted but not abandoned. We have been struck down but we are not destroyed. And so God sustain and guide us so that we may let your love, your love be shown at your workplace. We want to let your name be known by everyone around us. And so help us respond to your call to reshape the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.